0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. The podcast known as Dirt Bags back in your ear. I'm your host, Josh Curran, along with my co host, Danny Curran. Danny Curran, what's happening, mate? How are you doing today?
1: Oh, mate, I am living the dream. It's going to be a fantastic one today because I've got my mate and your mate, Mick on in here. He is a driver a builder, a fabricator, a gearbox guru, in case you didn't know. He's an event promoter and he's an international superstar, Josh. So, (laughs) Mick Marson, tell us a little bit about you and how you got racing, mate.
2: Oh, I don't know about the superstar, mate. Um, G'day, guys. Yeah, JCDC. Thanks for uh, having me on. Um, God, how did I get started? Well, um, I guess... Back in, I don't even know what year it was. I think it was 982. Um, guys up the road were building buggies, and I was 12 years old, and my dad let me build a buggy at 12. So we we bought a cobra frame and we we went and commandeered a couple of 1200 cc beetles from from a little town about half an hour away. And yeah, then the dream was born. We we just uh yeah, put together a buggy and I've still got it here, actually. It's at uh it's parked outside the shed so that was that was where i got started and um i guess uh yeah a lot of a lot of good afternoons after school after that and um you know and I always sort of was that sort of kid that i guess i uh yeah laid in me bed at night once i had a buggy and i was hoping and i was watching a few of those i don't know if you remember a few of those um Kempsey videos that were actually on channel seven and I remember watching them and then laying in bed that night thinking one day I'm going to race the Australian championship and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's where my dream was born and never really come from motorsport family or anything like that. Like we never had any of that. Um, and probably much to dad's disgust after he worked out, after he let me build that buggy. And (laughs) I think I put about a million kilometers on it between sort of 12 and 17 and, uh, yeah, and a few upgrades and. And, yeah, that's where it all started for me. So that, that that's a long time ago now. I'm 50 now, so that was that was too long ago to remember. <laughs>
1: now, Mick, uh, and for all our listeners at home, if you're not familiar with Mick Marson, he's one of our <clears throat> awesome North Queensland racers. And not only that, one of the things, Mick, and I know you know we're fans of this, is that you're a Ford boy. A lot of yeah. chefs out there, a lot of turbo Nissans. The North Queenslanders—they do it a little bit different. You got some super fast Toyotas and a very cranky SDO Ford. You run us down like you've just always been a Ford guy.
2: Yeah, well, Dad had Dad had Fords. Actually, had a Valiant, which I know you guys all hey, uh, be on. impressed with. That. He had a Valiant and then uh, then moved to the Ford. And a lot of a lot of where we come from, a lot of it's about who you know your local uh, dealership is, right? So, and who gives you your best service. So, I guess Dad yeah. sort of went that way and. And, you know, I come through the era of Dick Johnson and all that sort of stuff, so I'd be you know, glued to the Channel 7 screen on a weekend, Group C or whatever they used to be back then and uh, watching Johnson and whatever. And and plus, a lot of the people around me were were Ford people. Um, my older brother was. He had some good classic cars. And, and one of my really good mates, John Barbagallo, who builds that engine that's in my current car. I mean, been mates with him forever and and uh he drag raced ford sedans and everything back in the day and i guess it was always that you know pulverizing conversation at school or wherever you know who was better ford or or (laughs) chev or holden so yeah i've just been gone down that path all the time and like i said when i was a young kid sort of laying in bed thinking i'm gonna race one day i'm gonna have a screaming ford v8 in the back of my car so that that's i guess where it come from
0: So you really did uh, grow up in the era of uh, whoever wins on Sunday sells on Monday?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, oh, I probably, you know, I was born in 71. So I missed, I just missed all that 1971 with the, you know, the phase threes and all that sort of stuff. And I, I sort of grew into that sort of, you know, late 79, 80s, XDs, XE Falcons and, you know, Windsors and Clevelands and. You know, you can just about ask me anything about those type of engines, and I just just know it naturally because I grew up with it, you know.
1: That's brilliant, mate. Now, that sort of leads us into, like, you've been racing quite a while and you've had a large range of experience, everything from, you know, little cars and to fast really really top level fast cars including Mm. you've now got a trophy truck over in the states or as part of a conglomeration of australian races over there what's your Mm. best memory of off-road racing what what really stands out for you there's probably a hundred of them mick but one that stands out
2: oh well the pinnacle of what i've ever done in my career i guess if you call it career i guess but it's a it's a it's a sport fun sport but um Definitely, the pinnacle and the most exhilarating thing I've done was definitely Baja in Seventeen with uh, when a good mate of mine, Luke Urseg, uh, asked me to to drive the last leg um, on the 50th anniversary. And mm. to say that week was the craziest week of my life was probably a fair understatement. That's and it, and I guess you know that that actual race led us to you know things like Don River Dash. Um, so I've got to say finishing that race, being involved in it, um, just some of the things we did um, in that week and especially that 35 hours that that car was running yeah. nonstop was the craziest thing I've ever done in the sense that uh, the most exhilarating, um, you, know, the, 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 you know, you're down the peninsula of Baja 30 miles from anyone you know, um, you're just racing along a beach and you've just got to trust trust the uh, the little screen in front of you. It tells you you're doing the right thing. And <clears throat> and to eventually sort of turn out at El La Paz, you know, 10 hours after we hopped in the car was just phenomenal. Mm. Uh, probably the best feeling I've ever had in the sport. There's lots of others too. Um, you know, winning my first race, probably... Um, experience of really good cars, you know, just recently been in America, driving a trophy truck in America, you know, 950 horsepower trophy truck through holes that we couldn't dream to drive through here is, um, probably the next level where, um, you know, the experience where you thought you'd experienced a fair bit and then you do something like that and it really opens your eyes up.
1: That's fascinating, me because I totally agree. I mean, we've only spectated at in Mexico, but I think that was one of those experiences that you you've seen the DVDs, you've seen, you know, we know roughly what's going on, but it's not until you get down onto that peninsula that you just see it, it's a whole different world, isn't it? Like Southern California is very much like racing in Australia, like you know, I know it's a bit rougher, but you're still on beach mm-hmm. when you still got pitches, mm-hmm. but Mexico is a whole different world. Guys, if you're listening along at home, you go down San Felipe and basically the main street is bitumen and maybe a little bit of town. But then to go to your, and I use these words, five-star resort, it's a dirt road to the beach. Like it's a whole different wall, Westfield, isn't it? And, but, you know, like you take the right people, the right crew, I don't believe it's unsafe. You wouldn't want to be lost on your own as an Australian. It's somewhere you need to be aware of what's going on. But if you go down with a group, team and someone that knows it's one of those experiences that I'd tell anyone to go to you'd agree wouldn't you Mick like it's not as scary as you think as long as you've got the right people around you
2: no that's right and look we you know myself um good mate uh, Talbot Cox that, that raced with me that day uh we did 200 miles each as driver navigator and swapped over um and we had our normal navvies with us Andy North and Chris Colborne and to travel down In a high car pre-run in our section, which, to put it in perspective, like we live in North Queensland, which is you know, fourteen hundred k's from Brisbane, and we had to go down and pre-run, like the section from Gold Coast to Sydney. So we we spent a day and a half driving down there, and then we had to jump on and pre-run, we jumped. We we found where we were going to swap over. We we went to you know predetermined silt beds. We checked them out. We did a section of whooped track that it would just make you cry. Most people cry, and we drove that in a in a, in a you know in a higher and high, uh, I think it was a uh, like a Toyota 4Runner or something for for about 20 miles, and then we said we're going to kill this thing, so we jumped off and found another road. And the things we did, then we got all the way down there, and we. You know, it was safe. It was safe. We got all the way to La Paz. We saw the finish line and then we realised that we weren't going to make it back up to Ensenada. So we, you know, we ditched a hire car in long-term parking. We jumped on a flight. We flew to Tijuana. We drove, got another hire car, drove back to Ensenada for just in time for um, for uh, um, scrutineering, which is just the most amazing thing at the 1,000, like hmm. to see 100,000 people up that one street and nobody's probably anybody speaks english is incredible um the prawn tacos were nicer i can tell you <laughs> yeah and um <laughs> and uh then you know to to sort of watch luke take off the uh off off the line hop back in the higher car go up to Tijuana, fly all the way to la paz get our car back out get up to our changeover point in the middle of the night on roads that had no center line markings and the lights were crap on the car and to to do if you if you said to do that now and you and and you know you're going to be 100 safe and everything's cool you'd be you'd you'd think you're nuts but you know that that was the most experience uh, amazing experience and and look relatively safe in a group and we had 20 of the best funnest people greatest people i've ever been away on a trip with me life in my life and uh it's definitely something that i'll i'll never forget and and yes the baja is something you should really do um just to experience it just to you know you won't experience what we experienced probably if you go in there as a as a um as a spectator because you don't quite you know we had a plan we had we had gps destinations to find um we used that we we devised plans we had to change our plans two or three times along the way um yeah it, it was it was crazy but it was doable doable for most people and know i believe someone like chris weston's got that um tour thing happening now and that'd be that's ideal because what we found was when we went down there excuse me and those guys had been there two or three times before so when we got to the border they knew what to do when we got down to a certain uh, motel they knew what to do so Mm -hmm. for us we weren't trying to work it out on the run um but the bit where we went pre-run on our own that was that was that was just make it up as we went and that was that was incredible
1: Brilliant, because again, if you listen along at home on the podcast, uh, and you've never seen this style of racing, you know, if you've got a four wheel drive background, what Mick's talking about. First off, I think the thing that tricks you a little bit is they call it the Baja Thousand, but on a full peninsula run, Mick, how many miles? It was 1,240, to thirteen hundred. Like they're they're a bit longer than a thousand, aren't they?
2: Yeah, it was the fifteenth anniversary on that that attempt, and that's why Luke wanted to do it. So it was twelve hundred and forty miles in distance, mm. and. And I guess that's like going from, I guess, from Townsville to Sydney yeah. pretty much, you know, that's- in distance, uh, nonstop. So the car, you know, we did 400 miles each. Each pairing of of driver navigator did uh, did 400 miles each or thereabouts. And, um, yeah, like to do, to do that kind of thing. And, look, to be honest with you, there was a very, 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 very good chance that, you know, the car never made it to us. So that's something we were prepared for. You know, from the get-go, like we, we we paid money in to be able to do it. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get you know, Luke come and approach me at Windy and uh, that year, and and um, you know said said to me, "Would you be interested in driving the last leg?" And and you know, when someone sort of says something like that to you, and and you know, you just sort of a lot of the time you go, "Ah, oh, I couldn't do that." But I just remember thinking to myself, "Just say yes and see what happens." Mm-hmm. So yeah. I said yes. I said I'd 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 be super interested um i don't think i slept that night I, I laid down uh it was after presentation so it was sunday night after a gundy race and I, I laid down there and i reckon i barely slept a wink and i woke up the next morning and i walked over to talbot's trailer and i said mate we're doing the bar and you and i are going to do half each and this is what we're going to do and our navies are coming with us and it was just it all just happened like that and uh you know to you know i probably can't thank Luke egg enough for for that um for, for just for that opportunity and and you know like i did ask him probably before we left i said why jack's me and it was something that you know probably in my career i haven't been maybe the the quickest overall at races or or whatever but i've always prided myself on on finishing a race and um you know, my my car that I currently have, um, I worked it out last last month. It's got a 90% finish rate. Mm. And Luke said to me, he goes, because I wanted someone who's gonna drive that could bring bring a car home. And I just thought, wow, that's cool. Um, so I was pretty proud of that. Um, asking Talbot uh, to jump in on board with us and, and do it was was a no-brainer, someone who had the capacity to do it, and then asking our two, you know, really close mates that are in the cars with us all the time. Um, that was the next step and they jumped at the opportunity. So it was a really good experience and one I'd sort of definitely recommend uh, to anyone if you got the chance. I mean, not, not everyone can do it. Um, it's a difficult time of the year for us to be away, but we made it happen and I'm glad we did.
1: Hey, Mick, we get a little bit sidetracked on this podcast, but yeah, two interesting things there is Urcigs, I wanted to mention that their frame has just had a, a win. Did he win outright just recently? Yes. and at Perilla, at yes. How that-
2: so, Oh, I'm so happy for Luke because Luke's. I don't know most people know Luke Ursing, and he's probably the hardest working guy, and his work is equivalent to anything that happens in the states. Like I'm, I've 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 been always been super proud and and really eager to show off. You know the 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 engineering masterclass that's on my racer engineering car, but when you look at Luke's work, it's right up there, uh, equal to that. So. Luke's, um you know, done it pretty hard. He's done the hard yards, and he, he's created a, he's brought in that uh, new style of car, and um, I couldn't be happier for him. I, I just think he's, you know, he's definitely a fabricator of the future. And, and whilst a couple have dropped off in our Australian stuff, you know, Luke, Luke is definitely up there with the pick of him for sure.
1: Yep. And then the other thing I was going to say is you mentioned Talbot Cox there. We'll get him on a podcast at some point if he's happy to chat to us. But he's another one. Mate, you know, again, we get sidetracked. But you guys, in the time that we've known you, which is relatively short, but it's a good couple of years now and since when you got the races over, mate, I want to personally say it's been a pleasure to watch you guys. You know, you've got on top of the suspension, on top of the cars, faster, faster, faster. And, you know, Talbot and yourself now, like, are a true – like fight, think. Like we love sitting, you know, watching it on the live stream there at Think and watching you guys come home and the results that you guys are getting now. You know, like, oh, please don't take this. I hope you you're in agreement with me, but you know, like you're a good top ten guys. Well, now you're you're pushing for those outright positions, and that's not a joke. You're talking about guys like Shannon Ranch, you know, Ryan Taylor. Like those guys are no joke. Uh, you know, it's all good to sit in your armchair and oh, I'd I'd run the top five. Poor oh, man, top five at any of these races that you guys are running top five at, mate. It, it's been a pleasure to see you guys. And and again, with that 90% finish rate, because that's probably another interesting point. It probably is easy. Oh, I don't want to say easy. That's a wrong word. But, you know, like you can push and have breakages. But to have a 90% finish rate and your finish position, Mick, it's an absolute um, accomplishment. And you should be proud of that, mate, because, man, that new car, I know it's a few of them are getting a few uh, few kilometres on there. Yours isn't quite as new as it was, is it? Like it's done a little bit now. How long has it yeah. been? In-
2: well, I, I got it over here at the end of thirteen, so it's already like nine years old. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the, the the secret to, I mean, and I I actually think it's um, the secret's not that hard. I mean, for starters, you've got to start with a really good car and. And once it's a good car that you don't have to change and don't have, all you got to do is maintain, it's a huge difference. And that's what, you know, people sort of say, you know, um, geez, you know, your, your, your car just keeps going and going and going. And, yes, it's had a few, I've had a couple of failures and, and stuff which probably stopped me from being on a podium a couple of times. But, um, you know, I think the secret is a good car to start with. Um, preparation is just absolute key. I mean, I... To not really let anything go unchecked uh, before national big races, and obviously the other thing is very reliable engine and transmission. I mean, if you don't have those things, you could you can be the best driver in the world. It don't mean much, does it? So you mm. you know, like like I said, Talbot's Talbot's definitely more at the pointy end uh, than I've always been. But between us, I guess it's been a good combination. F- fairly similar cars. Um, you know, and uh, those cars, I think in the last nine years, we've done Fink. I think between us, we've had um, something like about nine or ten, top ten. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it's something that I'd um, I'd love to achieve bit on the podium at Fink. Uh, I actually can't go this year because I've got something on that I oh, can't be away for. for. Yeah, no, unfortunately, it's the first one. This would have been, I think, my tenth. Uh, yep. Tenth Fink, ninth, ninth straight, tenth Fink attempt, but um you know i'm pretty proud of what i've done there for someone who just does all the work and he's shed on his own pretty much and chris colwell I me mean, navy, comes up you know a couple of weekends before and most races and we we uh he has to travel four hours one way to get just to get to my place and so a lot of the preparation gets done you know we're behind closed doors no one sees it but pretty methodical and my engine builder john who jb john barbagallo he um I'm actually currently there now. Uh, we've only just received parts, you know, for four months of order. So mm-hmm. I'm getting a motor together again now just to as a refresh. Um but all of those things are critical, you know. If you if you just you get one thing, as you as you boys know, if you get one thing wrong, um, you know, in a prep, that that's all that matters. Um, you know, two failures I've had at Fink have just been absolutely stupid mistakes you know yeah. and, and that's, that's that's the way it is right you could be doing really well and yeah and um and and one little thing lets you down so preparation's key and and having having the right componentry i mean you know i used to try and make bits and do this and do that but look now now you purchase the race bit you purchase a piece that's that's proven to do the job and and look 99 times out of 100 it will you know and that that's the secret
1: well, it's interesting, Mick. Too, you talk about that. Josh and I had a conversation uh, on the last podcast about the gear too that's available because you've been around a little while. We've been around a while, you know. We're actually talking about cast heads and bits and pieces that we used to try try to die grind to get. And you know, again, this might get a bit tech heavy, but for for mm. some of our listeners, but you know, used to be trying to get flow like you know, three hundred cc's and that. And now you can buy these aluminium heads off the shelf with, you know, mm. 480cc heads and all the, you know, flow rates I'm talking about. And, and mm. you know, that's where it really has gone amazing is that we can buy so many high-quality components and then we're mm. getting much better at piecing those components together, you know. We're not silly mm. anymore. We don't put the massive cam with the terrible heads or the wrong, you know, we've got options with respect to inlet manifolds and and all mm. of that. really piecing together now, like, Again, I can't suggest this enough. I don't know whether I was out of the loop, but if you had told me in 90s that you could get a 5.7-litre, you know, smaller than a 350 cubic inch Chev to uh, rev to 9,000 and make 820-odd horsepower, that, that would have be been unbelievable. Like, that's that's pro-stock stuff, and now it is, you know, well, you've done a whole season on essentially a fresh, like, you're not really changing components on your motor. You're just checking valve flash, aren't you?
2: Yeah, pretty much. And look, you know, and that's the beauty about you know, because a lot of people can build race engines too, but it's the guys who can design them and know what they're doing to design it is, is the is the difference. You know, like um, when I sat down with uh, with my engine builder when 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 I had this idea of purchasing the racer, I I'd had that six liter Ford in my last car, uh, very successful, made you know six hundred fifty horsepower went really well and i sat down with john but we but what we did there was we we started with something we always tried to gain always tried to Want the following year we wanted more horsepower And how do we just get a little bit more out of it so i sat down with him this time and i said go your hardest i'm not gonna just tell me what it's what what it's all gonna do at the end so he pieced together something and with help because he works with guys in america and lucky same thing he said with heads and um i mean it's quite amazing like you know um you know, engines like mine, you know, 800 horsepower, only, you know, 11.8 to 1 compression running on 98, you know, um, pump gas. Um, but it's all in the heads. It's all in the flow. It's all in the size of the, you know, the stroke. And, you know, ha- how you put that, how you design that engine. And and um, and and that's what it's sort of come down to. And the beauty is when you do something right the first time, uh, and I can honestly say this, in nine years, all we've ever done, is just uh replace components we've never tried to chase more horsepower yeah you know so so why why would you you know you I'm comfortable driving what i drive and and it's got oodles for me and uh and so i keep getting asked you know are you going to put a seven liter in it now and i said no nah, man she's just staying like it is and and that'll you know that's that's good it's a good fun car and and uh probably one of the most definitely the most pleasurable thing to drive that i've ever definitely ever had so um puts a smile on my face all the time i was gonna
0: say it's, it's uh, definitely one of the most pleasurable race cars to listen to as I, well we yeah. uh, every time it's out and about we uh we love it so yeah,
2: yeah and you and, and you wouldn't be human if you didn't say that you you didn't love people actually coming up to you that you don't know saying that so it's really cool and and look i always wanted something a little bit different too like you know, uh, me and me and g- Greg Gardner, you know, probably run identical engines actually. Um, and um, you know, it, it's just something a little bit different. And and look, you know, when it comes to the old Ford and Holden and Chevy and all that stuff, I mean, at the end of the day, they're race engines. Um, I've got one tiny little component on my engine that's a factory item. Everything else is, you know, a race a race item. So, you mm. know, g- good good componentry um, doesn't mean it won't break, but but you know, you've got a better than even chance of it, you know, going the distance. And honestly, the trick is throwing away perfectly good looking parts yeah. just because you should. That's yeah. that's the secret to 90% success rate. Right? That it, it it's exactly that. I get asked that a lot, and you've got to find it in yourself to throw away a lot of good looking parts that you know you should just change.
1: Yeah, they've got because a limit. So you need to make that decision before the lifespan's over, you say saying,
2: there. Exactly. Yeah. And that's you know, that can be like I'm in an engine rebuild now that's, you know, thirty thousand dollars worth because you know, a six or seven thousand dollar set of lifters is only done in two seasons. But yeah. just put them in the box, even though they look perfectly fine, put them in the box, get a new set. And yeah. uh and those sorts of things is what makes motors, you know, go go and go for sure.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it's it's tough because then the flip side of that, Mick, is with our style mm. of racing is it's very expensive to go to Fink and have a silly mm. failure, isn't it? We, we've done a lot of time in the shed with our old boy, and, you know, like you sort of get to the point, you're like, well, how much more are we going to do? But the problem there is that, that that $20 component you really have to do because otherwise that $20 mm. can cost you 20000 down the track and, and that's just mm. not really so yeah it does become an interesting game of timing the parts um there's definitely people that'll strip like string them out or you know we run cvs a little bit longer than most do um on the word of mm. um and he's sort of given that information and a few people think we're a bit wild running them but we haven't had a failure and his system seems to work quite well and i suppose like you said but then the flip side of that is at the time we we're on a 450 horsepower ls1 you know mm. so maybe the difference because at eight hundred and twenty horsepower, well, that's a different game. Isn't but Mick, it yeah,
2: does. Right. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're right. I was going to say, um and the advent of torque converters is 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 by far the the biggest improvement in off road in mm. the last you know fifteen years in uh, in a transaxle. So that that has definitely saved a hell of a lot of componentry, drivetrain componentry, running torque converters in the open class cars and. And uh, without them, yeah, definitely you see a lot more failures.
0: Yeah, I do agree. The uh, first year we went to Fink, we raced the Jimco and it was a clutch car. And um, the only thing we changed the next year was that it ended up having a torque converter in it. And, mate, the the, the outright difference in, in how we felt like we were treating that car was, was huge. Like mm-hmm. uh, With the right. torque converter, yeah, with the torque converter, you felt like you were able to get across the whoops, whereas when you had a um, the clutch in it, it was just you were beating that car to death.
1: Yeah, the gearbox chatter was nasty. It felt wrong. It but bad. anyway, good. But, yeah, Mick, the other thing there, though, it leads me to ask, because I wanted to ask you, you know, we were talking about, you know, this, this uh, growth in North uh, Queensland with respect to mm. you guys getting into this podium position. Do you also think, because mm. it is a nice segue for where I wanted to go with this, is – Burdekin, the race up at Burdekin, I'm talking about the 300 before we get to the Don. You and Talbot yep. have been running that for a while, and I know mm. you know from Josh and I's opinion, I think that that's a national-level race just at a local club level, and it's brilliant. Like, Don't you agree, Josh, what we learned driving at Burdekin has translated into us stepping up our speed because, again, yes. for anyone that is listening along at home and you're anywhere – get in your car, come to the Burdekin, come to the Don as well. We'll get to that. But Burdekin, even as a local, and I use the word as a, as a state round, it's one that I feel that it is. It's perfect for trophy trucks. It's perfect for Prober. It has whoops in it now. It has jumps off Let It's just a driver's track, and it's an absolute pleasure to go and race at Burdekin. It's one, every time we talk about it, hey, Josh, we're like, what are the three mm. races, or, well, you know, four races now? Because we've got to add Don to it. We haven't done Don. But, you know, mm. we love Gundy. We love Fink. We love Burdekin. You know, that was the races that we, if we could do three a year, that's what we're, you know, if we were, we were aiming, they were the three. And probably a lot of people go, Burdekin? No, mate. It's, it probably we would do that, don't you agree, Josh, over most races?
0: oh, For the fish burgers too. The fish burgers <laughs> at halftime, <laughs> always fantastic.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, no, look, I think mm, mm. Burdekin's um, evolved um, when I, I did have time away, uh, when I, um, you know, became a foot footy player for about 14 years. And then my first, when I first got back into the club, I stayed a member, but I got back in and the club and the whole sport was on a little bit of a, a, lull then. So it was a bit harder, but back in 2000, we, um, we, we, uh, I jumped back in and I'd bought a, a car and I'd, um, got back into it. And, and look, predominantly we used to race, um, short course racing there um you know 150 k's for the weekend and it was it was easy with lower club members the amount of club members and stuff it was easy um then we that sort of race evolved into about 10 years ago and it was a bit of a selfish reason I guess why it became a little bit of a, a long course with Fink whoops in it because once once I started going to Fink and Talbot would sort of come on board racing bought my car that I used to have and and we started racing we wanted to create a race there which actually prepared you for Fink so the whole idea because in predominantly in North Queensland, we used to just race short course racing, right? So then people would go off to a national. Like I went to my first national at to Windy and sort of got me rear end sort of yeah, handed to me on a plate because I just was not prepared for what I was about to go into, right? So we sort of devised this plan that we thought that you know what, five weeks out from Fink, this is a perfect opportunity. Um, and and my the thing I say to a lot of people now is Come and race that, and if your car can't finish Burdekin, no point going to Fink. Yeah. So if it doesn't finish Burdekin, and, and there's a stupid reason for that, we'll go home and fix it properly before you go to Fink. Because I've been out to Fink in two thousand and seven, and it literally handed me asked to me in a, on a platter. So after only twenty k, so I, I I swore black and blue that I would not go back out to Fink until I had something that could um, do Fink properly um and then i was probably more prepared to do it so so the the evolution of birdie can become a race to prepare not only me and talwood but our mates for fink i guess in, in a bit of a round way, it's not the whole reason but uh we wanted it to be a tough event um we think it is that to a certain extent so you know you mm-hmm. do 280 sort of plus k's for the weekend and and it's five weeks out, so you got plenty of time to fix a car. And I think you know it's it's put me in good stead for Fink. I can tell you, I've uh, you know when I've raced Burdekin and then continued on uh, only five weeks later to do Fink. You're you're really prepared, you're yeah, race fit, um things like that. You know that that's uh, that's sort of very under underrated being race fit. And um, yeah, it's a great event, and and um we unfortunately couldn't have it this year because we got. 300 yep. miller of rain, bloody the weekend before. But anyway, yep. that's, that's okay. We'll come back again.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's going to continue raining this, uh, this week. We're going to get wet. Yeah. Mate. But anyway, yep. that's a good thing for the farmers. We, we don't complain about that. But, yeah, unfortunately, Burdekin. But there's always next year. Hopefully, uh, we'll come up and, and hang out at Burdekin mm. with you, mate. That'll be a good one. But then, so that sort of explained how you got involved in organising, like you've, you've taken the next step from a club member to an organiser. But... um. Yep. I suppose that leads us on to let's talk about the Don. I mean, that's the one now that is, it's really captured the heart and minds of, and I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, it's the ability to pass in the sand because that's one thing that probably a lot of people don't understand. We don't race like Mexico. I mean, there is a, obviously a bit of think. There is opportunities, but a lot of it is more like we race on, uh, single trail, really, don't we? Like car single track. So you know, mm. like there, there's not a lot of opportunities for passing. Whereas at Burdekin I'll, I'll let mm. you take it away. But you know, it's it's the river, isn't it? Like, what is the course markers at the Don River? And oh, sorry, did I say Burdekin I meant the Don River. So when we get go to Don, it really is a true, um, you know, quite an interesting race where we see three cars passing at a time and all sorts of. Mm wild things happening in the bottom of the river
2: there yeah and and the good thing is it it the fact that um you know the 50 that the the racetracks effective effectively 90 percent of the racetrack is 50 meters wide and yeah. and that's what it's all about right so we do a reverse grid you know slowest starts first or it's sort of just seeded, right so pre- presumably slowest first to quickest last and um you know that's the beauty of it you know it it is it is relatively safe because you 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 know we explained to the drivers at briefing that that basically um you don't have to get out of the road for the fast guy behind you which is very very unusual right in in off-road in australia yeah uh, you're meant to pull over and let the fastest car by. well in the don river you don't have to do that you stay on your line and those guys have got to come around you because they've got the opportunity right there's there's 50 meters wide it does it does come into tight sections occasionally um and and and, you know we've got two lanes up on higher sections of the track which are you know more of a traditional sort of gravelly dirt rather than completely all sand so even though it's assumed that it's 50 k's of sand it's not really that um but there's so much opportunities to pass and 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 you know that that race was born out of actually going back to luke and and the bar you know, one thousand. That race, that race idea at the Don River was was born out of a section we did in that race, and that's, you know, that's um, uh, that's a yeah, that that's because we, what we did in Don, what you do at the Don River is is what Talbot and I experienced for about fifty miles at that one thousand. So it was that's how that was born. So it's good.
1: Yeah, and I think the other brilliant thing is bringing the motorcycle club in you know guys racing how many motorbikes do you have racing and obviously just run again our listeners and and potential spectators that should I'm mm. telling you now guys come mm. to the Don River in 2022 it's going to be an absolute cracker again if you're only hearing about this race for the first time one the highlight is obviously the race it's brilliant the spectating's brilliant there's so many opportunities mm. but the other key is you are in Bowen i'm staying in a Bowen resort feet up, looking at the the beautiful bay of water. Where else can you do There's no off-road racing that I know that within five minutes I can be at the pub looking at the ocean, in my resort. Like, it is truly one of the most spectacular locations to have an off-road race that's possible. So, again, based out of Bowen, you head to Bowen to get to this race. And the Don hmm. River, it's in the river. Uh, as you head up towards Air and Townsville, you literally are racing under the highway. It's amazing.
2: Yeah. That's right, and and look, it's in the beautiful Whit Sundays, you know, region, and and uh, yeah, you can't get a nicer a nicer place to um, to race, and and look, you know, it's 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 a very simple format, and the best part about it is, look, we've been to many races, um, our club members, where you know you got to camp in town and then drive back out to the racetrack at some you know ridiculous air in the morning, get yourself set up, then at the end of the day you got to pack all your car up, go back. We wanted to put on a venue and a race where once you get there Thursday or whenever you wanted to come, you don't move, right? So you you park up in your pit bay, and you can come and go out of the showgrounds anytime you like. But the best part is once you set up camp, you're there, and the race starts out on the road out the front, and um, so it's quite a, quite a good format. Uh, we have cars um, start at, <clears throat> excuse me at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh the car race is usually done by lunchtime uh, and there's a little bit of change over time and then the bike race race starts at about 12 31 o'clock um last year we introduced a like a uh, like a uh, park for may at the finish line which is massively successful um the reverse format um it 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 creates a situation where the car the race doesn't stretch out it actually um finishes fairly you know, because you've got the slower cars starting first and then the maybe the, the quickest cars not leaving for twenty minutes later, even though you do get past, and if it was the other way around, you would have passed those cars again. Mm-hmm. Um not any, the, the finish time from the first to the last car isn't hours, it's 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 three quarters of an hour total. Mm. And that's the best part about it. So where everyone gets to do 150 Ks in a good good time frame, off the track, bikes on, and it's uh it's it is it is a good spectator thing you can get to a lot of venues that that you can see the race and um i believe hopefully we got you guys back again this year doing some uh doing hopefully some live streaming and and some more stuff so watch this space i think we've got some stuff hopefully organized for this year um I but can i can i i gotta tell you the story <laughs> i gotta tell you the story how don river come about is that okay I can tell you that. yeah absolutely love to All hear right. it. so I love this story because it's 100% true and it's typical Aussie stuff right so we you know we had the we had the pleasure of getting asked to go to Baja and we did that and um Talvin and I jumped in the car at 8 30 in the morning and we got going about 20 miles and we got bogged in a silt bed which we'd went and had a look at the weekend before and we stuck in that for 45 minutes and and i I just thought man oh man the next 375 miles is going to be brutal and it was you know but but about sort of probably an hour after we got out of that salt bed we dropped down into a river now I thought to myself well okay we're just going to maybe go across the river or we're just going to go along for a little while and then we're going to hop out well we stayed in that river for 40 something miles so 60 70 Ks and we went through one section, and the smallest rock we drove over was a football. Mm. Like so, the whole riverbed was just football-sized rocks, and the noises that were coming and the the bang and clangs that were coming up underneath that car from the rocks flicking up and hitting it were phenomenal. And if I there's probably three three stretches of racetrack that I remember that day, and that was one of them. So that really come to mind. So probably fast forward about or oh, six months after that. And uh Talbot who was in the car with me at the time I was driving, um, he's got a chopper that he uses for for work and, and recreation and and he had to take it down to, to McCoy to the Whit Sundays. And anyway, when he was flying back, he um he flew over the Bowen River and he he sort of looked up the river and thought, Man, that and in, in this is his words, he said, Jeez, that looked like that. What me and Mick that did that time, you know, at uh, Baja. So he he took a detour and he he flew right he flew right up the river, flew about fifty k up the river, and uh, oh, probably about three weeks later. As it as it turns out, three weeks later, he uh, he rings me up one day and I, and he goes, um, "What are you guys doing?" It's a Sunday afternoon. He goes, "I got an idea for a race." He said, um, "I'll bring a few beers over." So we we rang our other partners in crime, Dave Muir and Courtney Muir, and we we literally sat at the back of my shed, and we were talking for a while. And Talbot goes, "Look, I've got this idea for a race," and he explained the Bowen River. And we just I remember sitting back in the seat, and I remember looking at Dave and Courtney, and I remember thinking to myself, "We couldn't do that." Mm. And then after about five minutes, we we're already starting to plan it. So. So it went from just an idea over a few beers in the back shed to you know let's go down to Bowen next weekend so we on the you know loaded the quads down to bar we threw them in the river and off we went we spent the whole day riding up the river and um that's when we realized it was doable and and um you know that that that's exactly how it all happened and just you know just a couple of mates on an idea born from something that we did overseas would we have attempted to do something like that if we hadn't have done that sort of racing bar probably not because when we sort of sort of sprung the idea to everyone everyone's going you're what you're mad like really you want to race in the sand up the river what do you want to do that for mm-hmm. and um and look i'm pretty proud of it i think it's probably you know it's a very unique event and um one thing we're probably going to have a problem with this year is um we're going to have to cap the numbers. Um, yep. unfortunately, because, um, there's just so much you can fit in in one day. And, and, uh, I think, I think the cap, we, we haven't announced it yet, but I think the cap's going to be about 120 cars and 300 bikes. So yep. if we can achieve that, cause we need to grow this thing at a level that we can control and, and understand what the event requires as it gets bigger and bigger. So, um, we, we, we've decided to, to sort of just, just grow slowly, <laughs> or, well, quickly or slowly, whichever way you want to look at it. Amazing. um, Yeah, in four years, yeah.
1: Brilliant, because it's amazing, that race, how it's truly captured the heart and minds of people and and not just on a Queensland level, because we've got top-level Queensland competitors, but, mate, you've had interest from legitimately all over Australia.
2: Yeah, and, look, COVID's COVID's held it back a little bit the last couple of years. Um, Last year, we had 108 entries, um for us from as far away as um wa uh, by robinson and and Brett smoothie were going to come last year and uh because their trucks were over this way and then COVID obviously cut a lot of that short but um yeah I'm, oh, look i'm i'm, I'm uh, as much as i'm really proud of it all and all that i i am a little bit concerned this year um you know just because of the growth and yeah we're gonna probably have to have disappointed people who might not make it in which I know Finks experienced that the last few years and stuff. So it's one thing though that we we sort of got to put a cap on it and uh, and that'll be it. Like we, you know, it's not. It, I don't think it'll be something where you know, oh, let's just allow another twenty or something. Like that'll be it. Um, and so yeah, when entries do open, I think everyone needs to be on
1: the on Get the in. computer
2: for sure. So.
1: In interest for our races. Is there a date set for that entry?
2: Yeah, so second weekend in September, um, it it got me here. I think it's the 10th and 11th, um, September. Um, Interestingly, we picked that time of the year because that is the driest time of the year in in this part of the country, uh, which ensures, you know, hopefully that the the river's got no water in it. Um, We did have a bit more last year because we had 100 mil of rain two weekends before the race, which sort of help go into the aquifer there and uh and and what happens is the farmers stop pumping out of the river um and it's sort of because all their land was wet so instead of the water sucking down well below you know top of sand level it there was a little area there where it was a bit above but but other than that look um yeah generally it's pretty good and uh and look it's it's just an amazing it's just an amazing experience i'm yeah, I'm. Uh, I've I've done okay there, and I've come second, and and last year had a few headaches, but um, uh, hiccups there with a couple of issues. But yeah, no, we've had Toby up there, uh, Toby Price. I mean, so sorry, so he he loved it and he's endorsed it really well, and he's hoping to come back this year. He's he's pretty keen. Um, I could honestly say, mate, it's the only time I've ever passed Toby Price, and probably ever will. <laughs> But that's because he's. So, I'm, mate, I, I'm gonna. I tell everyone that all the time. So. Hey Nick,
1: that's because he's in one of those trucks. See, we don't call them trophy trucks because they don't win any trophies.
2: <laughs> no, that's right. That's oh good. Oh Billy, <laughs> Billy. So, Toby was. Toby was driving Billy's truck that day, and I, I caught him. Caught him at the end of the first lap, and we dove down to the river, and uh yeah, and I sort of. I don't quite think my accelerator has ever been pushed so hard to the floor as that day when, when I knew I was going to probably have the only time in my life I'll ever pass Toby Price. So that was a pretty cool day. Um, but, uh, well,
1: he, yeah, look, it's, it's looking big. Yeah, that was the year that he rode his Dakar bike as well and, and you know, won the event on the motocross. You know, that's another um, side of it that's so amazing and it, it draws eyes into both sides, doesn't it? We get to, and most of us come mm. from, bike riding background so we get to enjoy that Mm. dirt bike and the the good old days they're long behind me but they're they're the good old days and then the flip side is we've got the next generation of off-road races because it's such an amazing melting pot at the showgrounds on friday night Mm. where you see you know again 300 motorbikes 120 cars all their crews all interacting Mm. mingling i Mm. think that's like you know again Fink does have it but don river is the Mm. other one that we've got that melting pot of backgrounds communities and everyone coming together and and again this this the eyes are on it with respect to again I alluded to mm. you know last year bo robinson was literally on his way over wasn't he had his truck and smoothie I mm. had his truck on the way yep. also um mm. unfortunately weather events were that greg Gartner was on his way up or planning mm. on coming, he just didn't play out with everything mm that was going on in the nation at the time but you know hopefully this year we can get our noms in early and man if we, you imagine because again and obviously I should say Billy Geddes is there and he's been a stalwart for Don and he's very mm. very fast he's always mm. at the front end a few little mechanical issues mm. slowing him up because again that's probably something else that we you know don't mm. need to you know or need to allude to with it it uh, mm extra amount of load like you know guys that have no issues all year they go to the don and they go through that heavy sand on 40 inch tires and it's a bit of a different game for their automatic transmissions for all the you know motors loading up the way that you know i think billy was telling me one of the traps for him was he didn't realize that he was going to use as much fuel he uses more fuel at don than he does at the think so you know all of those game-changing elements coming in and making it. Uh, what it is which is one of the greatest off-road races so again guys all our four-wheel drive listeners and off-road racers if you've got the opportunity second weekend you said in september don river dash yeah. up Bowen, book your accommodation that's an absolute winner and uh yeah we'll we'll sew those dates again and we'll put them in the link and everything like that because we we want to spread that but hey mate the other thing because again i've, I've said it a couple of times you've raced everything from Class ten, you've got a trophy truck over in America. You've got a one of the premier pro buggies in Australia. Um, what's next? What's your next twelve months looking like, Mick? Is it is it farming or is it is it racing cars? Is it all what, what, uh, um,
2: yeah, good? look, we um, again probably um, the experiences you know. Which it's funny, hey, like um, you know the old movie that movie Sliding Doors, where you know. There was an opportunity where i was looking at buying a new open class car and a few years ago and class seven was uh sorry seven liter bug uh, motors were knocked on the head so i sort of knocked the idea of a new car on the head at the time and and then what i decided to do after being asked to drive and i even navigated for luke at, at the mint 400 was i thought to myself well maybe rather than spending money on a new car maybe i should just buy a car over there so that led to me buying a class 10 over there which was a phenomenal little car and it's actually here in Australia now so Dave Muir and Courtney race it um are racing at a Fink this year and uh we belted the bejeebus out of that thing at uh, at the mint in amongst all the trophy trucks and 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 it survived and that that was a great experience so then that sort of led me to um we got out of the car though and we were pretty beat up i've got to say talbot did the second lap and i jumped back in the third lap onwards and, and finished the race and that beat us up and and uh that just we got back to racer engineer and i said to dale don dollars he goes how'd you go and i said oh, <laughs> look man i said if i ever do that race again it's gonna to have to be in a trophy truck and we all laughed and everyone joked and i went home and about a month later he rang me up he said you still want to buy a trophy truck and i thought to myself oh crap and uh so anyway I cut long story short i got on the phone again to talbot and i said look i can't do this on my own Are you interested and so we got we got halves in that so so where does the next 12 month bring well we've been we've been over to america i went over in Jan- january with aaron james uh we we went over prepped the truck and um we got over to america the second time in time for the mid 400 and we were about two days into prepping a truck and we, tell would come over to me and said come and have a look at this truck over here and it was the milking at motorsports truck so it had been brought in for a bit of uh a bit of race prep and tell would said um, we should buy this truck and I said I, I thought he was joking I said you're mad and anyway we we thought talk, we talked about it for another half an hour and so we ended up buying that truck so we 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 stepped up from probably a nine-year-old racer with about 800 horsepower to you know to this um three three-year-old latest greatest truck at a really good price i've got to say we we got it at a good price and and um so we we attempted to race out of as 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 it goes and a lot of people do know and um i told had a bit of a mishap in it in the first lap and and didn't finish the lap so unfortunately didn't get to, didn't get to drive at that so what what's up next well i sort of couldn't go to fink which timed in not too bad with you know not spending 10 grand to go to fink which it always costs you 10 grand to go there so i decided uh i said well better stay in from that and do this other thing that i was supposed to do and um so now we're attempting to go back um well first of all i guess we've got some short course racing a little 10 car which is fantastic so i'll do that it's so fun to drive that little thing and uh then we'll do um probably do I'm going to go to the ARB round there, um, get this motor together and and then uh, there's another little race at bar and then, yeah, then I want to do Gundawindi. Look, Gundawindi, I know we talk about Don River mm. as a great race and, and Fink is a great race, but I think you did ask me early in the in the night there, what's my favourite race? And I, honestly, Gundawindi is probably my favourite race. Um, the other one, I used to have real admiration for Wakery that was yeah. a fantastic event, but going to you do that. Um, there's a nice split, so there's you know four weeks a month between Hillston and to to Gundy, and then another month to Don River, and then two weeks after Don River, we've we're told and I going to fly the states and do do a um, race over there, a three hundred mile race for a bit more seat time, um, and then we'll get the truck all prepped up, and uh, we're going to go back and do the um, Parker four twenty five. So. In January, so that's that's our next uh, bigger big thing we we're going to do. We're gonna we want to try and and that's going to be more of a uh, bunch of mates trip to a um, lot of lot of mates we travel with and uh, and and within Queensland and stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of mates there that are going to travel with us and and do that event. That'll be good fun. Um, and I think I, as I probably told you guys, we were going to attempt to do bar this year. Um, but we once we got to America and realised what's involved with these trucks, we realised we weren't really prepared to go do a race like that. So if you know, if you guys know Talbot like I know you do, and you know me, preparation is everything, and and uh, we felt that we probably needed to do a year before we attempted a race like Baja. So we'll probably go to Baja next year in that truck um, at some point. I was hoping to go this year because, as we know, Kevy Knott's knots going over in his car and. There's going to be a bit of an Aussie flavor to it there, but I think, you know, I think we're doing the right thing. I think we'll, we'll uh, get a little bit more seat time. I mean, I didn't get to race, um, this trip, obviously we did, we did plenty of testing. I drove the car plenty at Barstow and, and, um, you know, got, you know, completely wowed by what trucks can do over there. Um, but yeah, I think we need a little bit more time and, uh, you know, as as we shown with 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 the tip over that Talbot did, you know, you can be the best driver in the world, but you really gotta really gotta understand what you're driving. And neither of us had driven trucks before, so we're not, you know, we we never went over there pretending that we were going to do anything special. We just wanted to go over there and uh, and do it for our own reasons, and uh, and we're doing that. And you know, with that hence the reason why I guess I've been a little bit quiet about it on you know, the usual social media stuff because it, it's not a look at me thing. It's it's more just something that, you know, a bunch of mates are going to do. And, uh, you know, look, and you guys know, you know, when you do those trips over there, it's all about the mates you take with you. It's all about the good times. It's all about mm. the experiences and and stuff you'll never forget the rest of your life.
1: Absolutely. No, that's brilliant, mate. And, and what a varied range of um, events you're doing. It, it's just such a, a great time coming out of a couple of tough years with COVID, mm. as you mentioned you know, to be able to get back travelling, get back racing and, and have those experiences, it's something that, yeah, man, it's, it's life-changing, isn't it, like to be able to enjoy this sort of stuff. Yeah, and, and again, probably the, the best thing that I've enjoyed listening, the races are, yeah, again, a huge range, like, Parker four twenty five for anyone listening along is right on the river of the color on the Colorado River in, in Arizona. Yep. It's there. It's a bit of a uh, well, probably most people know Lake Havasu, where they run all the power boats above the above the um, dam there, but but Parker's the downhill um, sitting there and, you know, they race through the desert. It's sort of a rocky uh, terrain, fast roads, that sort of thing. But they also, you know, we get a lot of footage where they're skidding along down the bitumen right beside and, and there's a big party going on with all the spectators on boats and that. That's It's just an experience that you just don't get. You know, like, again, we've talked about the Don, we've talked about Parker, like, what, what an event, what an exciting place. And, mate, oh, I'm pumped for you. I'm uh, Again, I, I don't know if you heard me before, Josh. I said, hey, mate, what are you doing in February? We might have to book some plane tickets. I mean, this sounds like a good time.
2: Well, it's actually better. It's actually January, so it's, it's, it's a good time of the year to be away. It mm. is perfect.
1: Hey mate, now listen. We are going to uh, pull it up there. Uh, we're going to have to get you back on, Mick, because I had a line, a list of uh, questions for you, and we haven't even really touched the sides just yet. But let's, we'll we'll make sure that we catch up with you again. And you, what's going on with racer? Maybe a bit closer to Don. Oh, look at technology, oh, Josh here. Right there.
2: <laughs> Perfect.
1: Run us through the dates again. Now listen, sorry, I, I might have mentioned before, but can you tell us for our racing uh, listeners? Do you have a date for the opening of entries yet for this? So when they've got to be ready to hit that computer link, have you got uh, one
2: of them? Oh. We we haven't got a date, but if um, usually usually we got entries open for a month and they close two weeks um, before the event. So I look, I, I would say I would say last year I think we opened them around the twentieth or so of July, um, from memory. So. Um, late july so there'll be plenty of information uh look there's a lot happening on the don river dash this year um it's it's one thing i've been proud of it's actually doubled in size every year and this year it's already doubled in a lot of ways we're going to have we'll have a website um a standalone website for it um we've got information you know messenger pages there we get we get messages literally every day like today i had two 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 we had two requests for information on it um it's just that's every day it's just monotonous and and it's great it's 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 great not just from competitors but from people you know tra- want to travel to it to to have a look um yeah. so yeah probably late um late July um there'll be plenty of information come out about it but you know look let's look, look let's you know what I'm so happy about this year lads I I regardless of which which organisation runs races and whatever? How cool is it that everyone's racing again? Yeah. I mean, look yeah. at look today. Look at today. You know and um you know the races that happened down there and our good mate Ryan Talu yeah who uh, who won the race today. How cool is that? Yeah. And I honestly like you. You guys know you guys have known me for a lot of years and and honestly I just love it when everyone goes out and races their cars. I don't care where they do it. As long as they're yep. out there racing their cars, and the last couple of years has been real tough. I can't say we've been too disappointed in Queensland. Our, our events have been going really well, and not too many COVID COVID cancellations. And you know, like in Queensland at the moment, I think we're averaging sixty nine seventy cars to a race. So, like things are going really good here. But how good is it? If all the other states have have just been able to get up and running again. Put the, you know all these all these races that you've heard about for years, Perilla. Um, all these places, you know, Wakerie's back on, you know, yep. regardless if it's MA or double ASA or Aura, like, how cool is it that everyone's racing again?
1: Yeah, we talked about that on, I think it was our last podcast too, Josh, that, uh, again, it was a bit of animosity to start off with. You know, there was a little bit of, oh, this and this, but really now everyone's relaxed and, and we fit mm. into, you can choose your organisation, you can choose your style of racing, you can choose, mm. heck, you can just pick and choose events if that's what the way you want to go. And mm. it's just, there is great racing absolutely across the board and 2022 is absolutely going to be up early. Mm.
2: It already it has and, yeah, it's good. Yeah, brilliant.
1: Now, Mick, We have hit the hour mark, so we will wrap it up. But it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I mean, I won't lie. We're mates on and off camera. So it's a pleasure to chat to you at any time. I know I've had a couple of beers around the Burdick and Fire with you, and we always have great chats about off-road racing and events and all sorts of stuff. But, mate, it's been a pleasure. And, again, uh, I reckon we need to book you back in. When you've got a couple of big events, we'll uh, catch up with you again because you are – you know, I said it at the start international man of mystery that's what
2: <laughs> like. i think i think it's gone an hour because apparently i talk too much so maybe that's why it's already gone an hour but why
1: well, uh, been- i love
2: it i love i love talking off road i love uh, i love what you guys do um look there's so many people out there you know that that are so great in the sport it's it's so infectious and um it is surprising that after a lot of years of doing this, I'm no less motivated than I was when I started. And that's crazy mm. to think, you know, that- when you're a footballer, when you get a bit older and you're broken down, you just went, oh, I should give it away. But when you're a racer, you just go, oh, man, I've got to keep going to races because I'm getting too old, you know, like you just got to keep keep going, <laughs> keep going and keep yeah. doing them. So, uh, mate, good on you. Thanks for having me on. And I uh, really appreciate the time, uh, you yeah, know, having me on to sort of tell me a few of my experiences and, yeah, love to come back on
1: anytime. Brilliant, Mick. Excellent.
0: Well, uh, thanks, Mick. Uh, I think one thing that probably didn't get said is Mick is probably the, the genuine nice guy of uh off-road racing. He's always willing to help, always willing to have a chat. And uh mate, personally I'm just grateful to um hear that story about how uh Don River actually come about. It's a um it's an awesome story.
1: It is. Thanks, Mick. Appreciate everything and appreciate you giving us your time.
0: Thanks, boys.